thank you that you have forgiven us, that all, your, all of our guilt is gone through Christ. Lord, we thank you for your psalm, Lord David. You called us to praise you to uh, the attention of recognizing your blessings that he prays to you and he says, bless the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who heals all our diseases and forgives all our sins. Lord, we pray that you would remind us of your grace and your benefits and your blessings in your word. We pray for the young ones as they go to friends of Jesus, that you would speak uh, these truths through their teachers and that even through this weak vessel, you would meet us through your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to uh, welcome you to uh, the Gospel According to Chronicles. Uh, Chronicles was given to us, to uh, the people in the, uh, the Israelites, the last book of the Hebrew Bible, uh, to remind them that they are a beloved people. They are people with a hope and a future, even in a politically dark time, uh, as they were under foreign rule. And we find in Chronicles that the book is a book about uh, that they were given a great king in King David, and there's a great king that's been promised to come. But it's also a book about a great worship and the call to people to a great worship. And last week, Pastor Stan uh, revealed for us a movement of how God was moving in David's life to establish uh, the temple of worship, the, the house of God. Uh, we find that David was living in a tent or in a uh, palace of cedar while the tent uh, of God was, was just uh, worshiping out in the wilderness. And he had in his heart uh, to build God a great, a great palace, a great place of worship, and to make his name great. And God said no to David. He says, but I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to build you a great house, and you will have a kingdom that will last forever. God surprises us with grace. Uh, Pastor Stan said that uh, faith, our faith is not about what we do for God, but about what God has done and is doing and will do for us. Uh, what an important uh, reminder of that. And so as we come to this next section of Chronicles, we're looking at a really dark chapter in the life of David. But what we find, even as dark as uh, this was in his life and in the life of Israel, God's grace and mercy was greater still. And so we're going to hear a rather long chapter, and we have some great readers to help us to stay with this passage. Let's listen to the Word of God. Have you ever known of a person or a leader who many would say fell into a great uh, sin or a great transgression or fell into a great crime, and you find yourself saying, that will never happen to me. Have you ever experienced that? Well, I have, and I have learned that that's a very foolish response. Some years ago, uh, many years ago, a couple of big TV evangelists had fallen into some sexual scandals and money greed scams. And I remember thinking to myself, these, 
opulent, flamboyant, prosperity, gospel evangelists are so far from everything I would ever want to be. I'm safe from falling like that. Those kinds of sins are beyond me. This would never happen to me, I thought. But then I remember in the summer of 1987, it changed my foolish thinking. Gordon McDonald was a man I considered to be a spiritual giant and had a great impact on my life. He mentored me through his books, Ordering Your Private World, uh, Restoring Your Spiritual Passions. His, he was the pastor of Grace Chapel in New York. Uh, and then he became the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And my wife Maria and I went to a conference, a shepherd's conference for pastors and their wives in Washington, D.C. And uh, he talked about how couples are to be uh, partners in ministry and how to give your marriage as a gift to the church. Uh, he talked about being the spirit-filled shepherd. And, and it was a great conference at that time. Very soon, however, after that conference, it came out that Gordon McDonald had to step down from his leadership as president of InterVarsity uh, because he had fallen into an adulterous affair. I would have never guessed uh, when he had spoken at that conference that that was the nature of his life at, the point, at that time. And I remember being jolted and shocked and grieved, but more I remember feeling a great vulnerability. It busted my bubble of presumption to think that somehow I was safe from such a fall. And since then, I have personally known of friends and other pastors in ministry who I considered to be godly peers who had uh, strong ministry and likewise fell, causing grief to their wives and children and to their churches. And many of you may know of others as well. But I need to say this about Gordon McDonald, that while he fell in this uh, how he responded. Uh, he was a man uh, who confessed and he repented and was a model of humility, and ultimately God uh, restored him. He wrote a book called Rebuilding uh, Your uh, Broken World, uh, where uh, he showed his lessons that he learned from that fall. And he found that while his sin was great, the grace of his God was greater still. And here in 1 Chronicles 21, we see the God of the Scriptures is the God whose grace and mercy is greater than the great, great sins of our leaders. The Chronicle gives us four images to present us a picture to us, the rebel, the wrath, the redemption, and the repentant. And so it says that it opens that Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Now, there's a parallel account uh, in the scriptures about this whole event in 2 Samuel chapter 24, the last chapter of that, of that book, uh, and it's nearing the end of David's life. In the next chapter in his life, in 1 Kings, it says that David was old and well advanced in years. The next chapter, David is dead. So David died somewhere in his early 70s, but one scholar puts this episode that we are looking at today with David being about 66 years old. Um, and it follows after David has conquered all of his surrounding enemies. So it appears that David, he's 66 years old, his kingdom is secure, his enemies are at bay, and here it appears that he fell into taking pride in his position and power. 
and that what appears to be an act of vanity, he commands Joab, his top commander, to number the military men. So instead of trusting in God as his strength and shield and refuge and fortress, which he celebrated in so much of his life, he has now fallen into depending upon his own personal military strength. David overrode all caution and correction, even by Joab, and he forged ahead and he sinned in, in what has really been considered the greatest and most grievous and most consequential uh, manner above every former uh, transgressions he had ever committed. In our minds, when we think of David and his transgressions, uh, many of us uh, who may know some of the Bible history hardly remember this event. Uh, we mainly remember David's sex scandal with Bathsheba and how he tried to hide it by having his, uh, her husband Uriah uh, murdered on the field. But that sin, as grievous and as heinous as that sin is, it really, in a lot of ways, fades in comparison to the fallout of this near-end transgression that cost the lives of 70,000 warriors. Now, how would you like to be David at this time, walking through Israel and seeing the widows and the fatherless children because of your sin that cost the lives of their husbands and their dads. It was a horrible thing. What a horrible way to finish an overall fruitful and glorious reign. David historically has been elevated as the greatest and most beloved, esteemed king, the king of Israel that clearly imaged the promised Messiah to come. The warrior poet, Israel's singer of songs, the giant killer. But this tragic near uh, end of life transgression reminds us that David was a man of common weaknesses, just like all of us. And all of us are prone to fall into great temptation and sin as David has. Our perspectives on the nature and the gravity of sin is often very different from God's. While every sin is an affront and an offense to God worthy of death, some sins have greater weight and greater consequences than other sins. Uh, Jesus told Pilate, uh, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And so many sins we might commit out of ignorance. We don't even know that we're committing them. Some sins, however, we are committing them with willful rebellion, uh, where we cast off all restraint and we plow headlong into it. And clearly, this, this sin of David uh, was such a sin. Uh, the mere counting or numbering the military men was not the issue here. Such counting was commanded in Exodus 30, uh, where uh, there was a census to be taken of all of the Israelites. And, uh, and part of that was to encourage people to contribute uh, financially to the worship of God's people. Uh, and the Levites were to be exempt from being counted because they were to serve in the worship of God. But David, he cast aside all of those kinds of commands, direct commands of God, and he 
commanded Joab to number. Now, Joab, who was a man, a warrior himself, and who often was foolish in some of his uh, uh, exercises, uh, he cautions, and he pleads, and he appeals to David, don't do this thing. He knew that this was a wicked act, and he tries to tell him, says, may God multiply your armies a hundredfold, and he it tries to re- reinforce to David that he doesn't have to do this horrible thing, but David continues forward. I think that we discount the gravity of and the magnitude of pride, of the idolatry of depending on ourselves, our strength, our wealth, or our wisdom. This indeed is the cultural waters that we swim in. Am I smart enough? Am I rich enough? Am I strong enough so that I can be at rest and be in control of my life? It's so easy to cross the line from being good stewards of God's gifts to relying on them as God's. And so we, uh, instead of relying on God, who is our creator, our sustainer, savior, and giver of all good gifts, we start to rely on these other forces. And so David did this. And it didn't matter because of all of his glorious previous history and God's working in his blessed life. At this moment, he gave into the temptation and he relied on his own military might and not on God. You know, it's important for us to realize that however great the temptation is around us to, to do such a thing, the scriptures always promise us in 1 Corinthians 10, chapter, or chapter 10, verse 13, that no sin has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God will provide for you, because he's faithful, an escape hatch, a way out, so that you might not be overcome. And God had provided David an escape. He had provided Joab a caution to stop what he was doing, but David overrode that. And it wasn't just a momentary click of the mouse kind of sin. David, this took nine months and 20 days to do this census. And so he was living in this state for quite some time. And I uh, was wondering, how did this happen? How did this great king who was a writer of all these tremendous psalms of going to God in the depths of his loneliness and finding strength in his God. And how did he get into this dark place? And it, it doesn't really tell us in the scriptures why. But, you know, looking at when uh, different psalms were written, uh, the last psalm that David wrote before this incident was really the Psalm 18, which was really written at the end of his reign as he's looking over how God had blessed him, and he exalts in that God is his rock, his, his fortress, his refuge, his, his savior, and that God had given him uh, this ability to conquer his enemies, and he was just praising God. It's 51 verses, a very powerful psalm. This incident apparently was like six years later. And David, I believe, really forgot about God's presence and power in his life. You know, he's an aging king. Uh, He's starting to feel his weakness. Uh, He's had trouble in his family. His kids have been rebellious. Uh, One of his sons tried to take over the kingdom. 
One of the other leaders of the kingdom tried to take over the kingdom. He is old, he's aging, he's feeling maybe he's past his prime, he's weak, he's starting to hear the voices. Uh, David needs to go. You know, he's no longer any good anymore for our nation. He starts to believe that, and he's, and he's not relying on God to be his honor or his strength or his shield and he's looking for his military force to reinforce to him that he's still the man, he still has the power. Uh, and so David falls into a really great uh, sin. And one of the things that, you know, looking at this and realizing this, here's one lesson, Satan will never give up in coming after God's people or God's leaders um, <clears throat> as long as we live. Satan is not merciful to old people <laughs> or aging leaders. He's always looking for a more opportune time. He's always searching to find the cracks in our armor, to find the vulnerable moments when we are least defensible. Uh, that is why Peter tells us, be self-controlled and alert your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Um, we have a friend in our in our worshiping congregation, uh, a, a man who's in his senior years, uh, a neighbor living on 41st Street. Uh, one morning, he's, he's in his bathroom showering. A uh, burglar breaks into his house, comes up the stairs, and uh, assaults him with a knife, and uh, basically demanded his money, demanded all of uh, his, AT, his ATM card and the PIN number. And it was a horrible thing. And, and he did virtually the same thing two, two more times in three weeks. And I was thinking, you know, Satan does not sleep. Uh, the devil is always seeking to, uh, to exploit the vulnerable uh, in our society, and he does it, and he will come after us. So what is an application here for David, and what is an application here for us? Well, you know, it was good that David had Joab, a faithful, uh, close friend who would actually confront him. But actually, I think that David was in a very lonely place. I think David had no real close people around him to love him enough to confront him or to correct him. Uh, and that David in his high position was disconnected from that kind of family and friend support. Uh, and so it made him very, very vulnerable. You know, the scriptures tell us uh, that uh, in Proverbs, it says, uh, wounds from a friend can be trusted. In the midst of many counselors, there's victory. Uh, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so what the Bible tells us and what we need to ask ourselves, do I have the friendships around me that love me enough to correct me and speak truth and love to my life? Do you? Because if you don't, you are a sitting duck. You are, you are, you are under, uh, you're very vulnerable to being attacked. And so I encourage you to really assess uh, your, your support systems and your support networks because in those dark moments, you need the friends that will support you, love you in the midst of the dark moments and the valleys that will surely come. And if you're not in like a small group or a covenant group and you're looking for a support system, uh, we have, we, we are, we're, our church is a church that, 
that has a high value on community and on community groups. And so I encourage you to check out uh, the community group supports at the Connections desk. But we find that David uh, casts aside all restraints and he sins greatly. And it says, but God was displeased with this thing and he struck Israel. Uh, David had offended his holy creator, whose nature is to hate sin and to punish it. You are not a God who delights in wickedness, Psalms 5 says. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. And Romans 8 or 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men by their unrighteousness who suppress the truth. His wrath, God's judgment, is a righteous judgment. If you ever get angry about injustice in our society, God has exponentially more anger about injustices. Uh, but God is a pure, just God. And so God comes to David, which is kind of an unusual, I, I can't remember other places in the scriptures like this. He gives him three options about how he wants uh, the, the judgment to be manifested. You want three years of, of famine, three months of devastation by your foes, or three days of the sword of the Lord. Uh, and so David was rather quick to say, don't let me fall in the hands of my enemies. They're a whole lot worse. And he says, let me fall into the hands of God because his mercies are great. And so then the Lord sent the pestilence and 70,000 men of Israel fell, it says. You know, I think that when all of those men, all those warriors that were under his oversight fell because of his sin, I think David got surprised. I think he got surprised when he realized how great his sin was and how much it cost so many. Uh, we need to realize that while I'm sure that pride existed in all of his warriors, this chapter, this event really focuses on how a leader impacts the whole nation. And how the sin of a leader is felt throughout. And we know that ultimately uh, it is similar to like Adam, who is our representative leader. You know, the firstborn son of God who fell into sin. And that sin has impacted and infected all of us, even though we are all sinners. But here we see a similar thing that negatively impacted so many. But as great and as horrible... As David's sin is, so great and wonderful is his mercy and redemption. So this, ver this passage reminds us that the God of the universe is a, a God of great mercy. He does not take delight in the death of the wicked. He grieves and he is moved with compassion and pity over the calamity of his image bearers. I really appreciate the verse 15. says what. And God sent the angel uh, to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and he relented from the calamity. He felt compassion and pity. Uh, God orders David through Gad to build this altar, the sacrifices that could be offered to stay the hand of the destroying angel. And David did as the Lord commanded. He built this altar on this threshing floor. Uh, of Ornan, the Jebusite, uh, who actually was a Gentile worshiper. He was from 
uh, Jebus, which was the former uh, Jerusalem, but uh, they thought that maybe he was a Hittite, but he was a Jebusite, which a Jebusite was one of the enemy nations that when Israel came over uh, to conquer. But what we find is that this man apparently became a God-fearer and a, a worshiper of Israel's God. And so uh, David comes to, uh, to Ornan, and he, he's been commanded to do the sacrifice on his threshing floor. And, and so Ornan and his four sons are there, and, uh, and God opens their eyes, and he sees the destroying angel, and the destroying angel is hovering and ready to just, like, take them out. And Ornan, when David asked him, says, well, look, here, here's the threshing floor, take it. You know, here's my oxen, take it, whatever you want, just take it, just save, save us, uh, in a sense. And so they're afraid, uh, but David said, no, I will not, uh, I will not worship God without the cost. He knows that he has to pay for it. He knows that it's his sin, and he will not take it something for free. And so he, he gives them these 600 shekels of gold, and he purchases this threshing floor. He purchases the land around it, and he offers this sacrifice, and fire from heaven comes down and consumes the burnt offering. And when that fire came down and consumed that burnt offering, it told David and it told those that around that God had accepted this sacrifice. And it says that the hand of the angel was stayed, that it did not come down on Jerusalem. You know, what we realize is that while the angel's hand was stayed at that point, the sacrifice is... Hebrews tells us of bulls and goats is not sufficient to forgive us from our sins. And it talks about how Jesus came saying, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. And then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in this girl. I have come to do your will. And so Years later, after this incident, there was a pure sacrifice that was given on this altar. And that sacrifice was Jesus Christ, the pure leader, the one who never sinned, who never failed God's people, who always did everything right, never did anything wrong. And Jesus, when he was betrayed and handed over by Pontius Pilate to be crucified, and was stretched out on this spot in Jerusalem. The hand of the sword did not, was not stayed, but it came full bore onto the pure Son of God, destroying him. And this is because we have a merciful God. We have a God full of grace. We have a God who loves sinners so much that he's willing to give up his pure Son. And so in this Chronicles, we find this whole incident was to clarify where the temple of God's worship would be, where the sacrifices were to be. And so when you think about the temple in Jerusalem, and when you think about the altar in that temple, you need to start thinking about why is it placed at this location? 
It's placed at this location because David sinned in a great way, and God decided that this would be the location for the offerings. This would be the place where his son would be crucified. This was the place where reconciliation would take place. And so we have a God, while our sins are great, and while the sins of our leaders are great, God's grace and mercy is greater still. Great sinful leaders and great sinning people do not thwart the greater grace and mercy of God's Son. But to experience that mercy, to experience that grace, we need the humility of David. We need to humble uh, we need the humility and not point fingers and to blame others, to make excuses. You know, Saul, when he was confronted with his sin, you know, he started to hem and haul, he started to make excuses. Uh, but David, as soon as he comes to awareness of what he did, he's in great distress. And he talks about that his, it is his sin uh, that has done this thing. I have sinned greatly. He is taking ownership. Uh, he has done the evil, and he knows it, and so he claims it. You know, it's one of the great things about David. Yes, he was a great sinner, but he was a great repenter. He was a man who knew how to humble himself in great ways before God, and his heart was tender towards God in these moments, and we find that he is indeed a man after God's own heart. And so we see that David flees to the mercy of God. He says, I am in great distress, but let me fall in the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. And he knew it, and he flees to God. And so when you are in your sins, when you are in the throes of your dark, despairing moments, and you have a great awareness of how far you are from your Creator and your God, who you have violated, when you come to that reality, don't flee from him. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Flee to him. Go to his presence because his mercy is great. His mercy is great. And so you might be here today, for, and for the first time, uh, you come to the awareness of the holiness of God. And you start to come to the awareness of how much your sin cost. And you realize, I need this mercy. I need this grace. And if you're in that place and you would like to, to give yourself to this great Savior, this great God, we encourage you to go to the prayer intercessors and people would love to guide you and to pray with you through that. You might be here and you say, well, I am a person of faith. I believe, but I feel stuck in my life. I feel trapped in, in some kind of dark time. And I need, I need prayer support. I need, I need to experience uh, a relief from this stronghold. If that's your case, I encourage you to go to the prayer intercessors as well and to get uh, support. Great sinful leaders and great sinning people do not thwart God's greater grace of mercy in his son. Isn't that a great encouragement from 1 Chronicles 21? And so many, many uh, have been searching how it was that President Donald Trump got elected this week, when all the pollsters, when all the pundits predicted his loss, many have said, who's responsible for this? While he didn't win the, the popular vote, he dominated the electoral vote. How did that happen? Well, many can have lots of different reasons why this occurred. But this is what we can say as people of faith. 
be assured that God is sovereign. In Romans, thir- in, uh, Romans 13, it says, Everyone uh, must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. And so just as God established President Obama eight years ago, the scriptures remind us that he is the ultimate sovereign king. And for whatever reason, uh, President uh, Donald Trump is now will be the president of the United States. And so what, are, what else can we learn from this? Well, I think there's a call uh, to follow uh, President Obama's lead. And uh, he says, it's not a secret that the president-elect and I have some pretty significant differences. The peaceful transition of power is one of the hallmarks of our democracy. And so the graciousness of that is a great statement of how we should be a thankful people. And even if you disagree and you have, this is very disturbing for you, and we are a body of probably different races, different political uh, perspectives, but this is where we're united. We are united around Jesus Christ as the Savior. He is the pure leader. And what we also recognize is that uh, we need to be humble. Uh, We are flawed and fallen people uh, who have flawed and fallen leaders. Uh, And we've just elected another fallen and flawed leader. And fallen and flawed leaders are our only choice. Some may be more flawed and fallen than others. And so we're disturbed by many things. And, you know, we should be disturbed and we should be outraged by sinful offenses against God's image bearers. Denigrating, objectifying, or abusing women. Diminishing, devaluing, or acting with hostile bigotry towards persons of another race, class, ethnicity, religion, or sexual identity. Oppressing and mistreating the vulnerable immigrant or foreigner. Not doing justice for the poor. Not defending the cause of the fatherless, the weak, the oppressed whether it is the unborn child in the womb or the elderly in in a hospice ward, you need to know that whatever outrage against such sinful offenses are committed against fellow humans, God feels it exponentially more. In Genesis 6, it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth, that every inclination of his heart was evil only all the time, and the Lord was grieved, and his heart was filled with, with pain. Our God feels things very deeply, much more deeply than you and I can ever imagine. But this passage reminds us that the outrage that God feels is even greater when we deny his existence in our lives, when we ignore his presence, when we make our strength and our resources and our wisdom the things that we rely on instead of God, when we make idols out of those things. In God's economy, our orientation to him is the sin underneath all the other sins. A weak and distorted view of God caused us to have a weak and distorted view of humanity. And so we need to cover ourselves in the grace of his scriptures to remind us of who the God is that we worship. And finally, this passage also reminds us of the God of the universe is a God whose mercy is greater than all of our sins and that we can flee to him, and that we should pray for our nation in this time. As Paul tells us, first of all, 
I urge you with supplications, prayers, and intercessions with thanksgiving to be made for all people, for kings and all those in high positions, that we might lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior who desires all people, all people, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful that you give us uh, chronicles to anchor us uh, into not only the depths of our sin and the depths of our transgressions, but also the richness and the grace of your mercy and your forgiveness. Lord, whatever sins we might be trapped in, uh, what our friends might be trapped in, Lord, your grace and your mercy is so greater. Lord, I pray that we would be a community of grace-filled disciples and followers of Jesus that know how to embrace people who are trapped and fallen and broken in their sin. That, God, we are a body of broken people, and we need your grace. Lord, we need your mercy. Lord, help us to be faithful witnesses of that gospel in our lives, and we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.